Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, hastily arranged and out earlier than usual. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Brian Plank. Hello. And Andrew Brooker. Good evening, Jen. Sorry, I interrupted you, didn't I? I didn't even get a chance to fucking say hello. See, it's, this, it's this thing recording on a Friday, it's thrown me. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. You're actually talking three days ahead of me. Excellent. The, the, the world is upside down. <laughs> Dogs walk people. Um, <laughs> hamburgers eat people and all that kind of stuff. It's all weird. It didn't feel right recording on a Friday. Not that I'd do anything on Fridays anyway. Well, it's because you're going on holiday. You're basically ditching us. I'm not going on holiday. I'm I'm just unavailable. Hmm. Um, Off caravanning in Wales again, as Paul insisted on constantly referring it to. Paul's weird. <laughs> really weird. I wouldn't hmm. trust him. Um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna podcast about films and that. Um, there's going to be a quiz. There's going to be a born discussion mm-hmm. and there's going to be a triple bill uh, with the olympics starting soon featuring our favorite sports films um but we're going to start off with the quiz where after um i lost and reviewed the ouija experiment last week owen is now in the quiz chair i'm hosting again you're hosting again and it's mm-hmm. me versus brooke and brian yes so um to tie in with the sports triple bill um, because it's all about the Olympics, of course. Um, that's what the the theme of this quiz is. Um, so I've gone back over the last 10 Olympics games and I've prepared five questions for each of you. Well, five questions for Steve, five questions for Brooker and Brian as a team. And uh, you can get two points per question. You can get a point if you can tell me the city that that year's Olympics was hosted in. And you can get a point if you can tell me what the highest rated film, according to IMDb's top 250 list, is from that year. So we've got 2012, uh, you know, all the way back to 1976 here. Uh, okay. But it'll be easier, I guess, because I'll, I'll give you three options for each question. So. Nice. Yeah, it's an A, B or C. Um, so, Steve, do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay, two points here up for grabs. 2012, when was it? Uh, where was it hosted? When, when was it? I think it was, yeah, I think I just it was 2012. Out. Where was it hosted? London. London, yep. And the highest rated film, according to IMDb's Top 250 from 2012, was 
A, Django Unchained, B, The Dark Knight Rises, or C, Avengers Assemble? Gotta be Avengers Assemble. Is incorrect. It's The Dark Knight it Rises. Was, it's Django Unchained. What? Yep. Ooh. Django Unchained is higher than Dark Knight Rises and Avengers Assemble. I was Ooh. shocked as well. Um, I mean, so when, were, get, wasn't, oh. when, when were they released? Because I suppose if, if Django was at the start of the year for all year, just might have gone back in cinemas and that would be in Tarantino. Whereas the other ones... No, it, it's user ratings. It's user ratings on IMDb, the top okay. 250. Okay. As per voted by, you know, users. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Get it together, Steve. Well, I, I, I misunderstood the question, but now I'm back on board, I think I'll win the whole thing. You reckon? Yeah. <laughs> you know the populist opinion? You know yeah. how the people think? Yeah, I know people. You know people. Indeed. I know people. People in the right <laughs> places. Mm-hmm. So, Brooker, Brian, uh, obviously then that means that the Olympics Games before that was in 2008, but where was it? Not a it was Beijing. It was Beijing, yeah. <laughs> and the highest rated film from 2008 was Wally, The Dark Knight, or Iron Man? The Dark Knight. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah it, yeah, it was The Dark Knight. So, two like, points. Isn't Dark Knight not number five on the top 250? Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's super, super high. It's unbelievably high, really. Um, you'd think after so many years that the the rating would start to drip off slightly now, but no, because nope. thing, things get up to the top ten and they stay there because people watch them because they're in the top ten. It's like my yes. iTunes, my my top twenty five on iTunes will never change because I listen to things in the top twenty five. Hmm. It's it's self perpetuating. Yep. All right, Steve. Um, that means you have 2004. So the 2004 Olympics were? Athens. Yes, correct. It was Athens. And uh, the highest rated film on IMDb, top 250 for 2004, was A, Howl's Moving Castle, B, Downfall, or C, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Hmm. Howl's Moving Castle. It's incorrect again. It's Eternal, it's Eternal Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah, it's 85th on the list. Uh, did I ever tell you about my Eternal Sunshine story? No, tell us. Went to see it with my ex. That's the story. Don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't recommend the film? Or you don't oh, recommend it's, a, the it's a great film, but it's just a horrible, horrible viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh... Brooker, Brian, uh, you have the year 2000, which was, of course, hosted in... Uh, that was Sydney? Yeah. It was Sydney. Yeah, because yeah. I, I knew that the Mannix wrote the song for it, mm-hmm. but I was swithering on the city. Yep, it was, it was definitely Sydney. But the top film on the list is A, Snatch, B, Gladiator, or C, Memento. Ooh. Ooh, I'm my first thought was Gladiator, but I think that still is higher than Memento. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's got to be. Nah, it's got to be Gladiator. 
It is Gladiator. Gladiator is 46th and Memento is 47th. Ooh, oh, so quite close. Yeah. But it definitely, Gladiator is the highest rated from 2000. Yeah. Um, there's no film from that year higher than it. So uh, it was quite a tough one, that one. Um, Steve, I think the, the where the cities are for these events is going to start getting a bit tougher now. Uh, 1996, do you remember where that was? Um, the 1996 Olympic Games. If he doesn't get it, can I steal it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we all know that Euro 96 was held in England, of course. Yes, yeah. But as for the Olympic Games, um, Take a trying point. to work back, I'm trying to work back, that's the thing, I'm trying to work, work back. It was in, it was in America, it was in America. Um, but it was held in which Atlanta. city? Atlanta. Atlanta, yes, correct. I knew that was a relatively recent one. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, ninety six was Atlanta, and the highest film, Train Spotting, Fargo, or Independence Day. Uh, highest rated. Mm. Train Spotting. Oh, correct. Yes. Yeah. One hundred and fifty fifth on the list. So, back to Brian Brooker, and you have nineteen ninety two, Olympics Games. Well, that was Barcelona. Yep, it was Barcelona. What a beautiful horizon. Mm-hmm. So you've got Unforgiven, Aladdin, or Reservoir Dogs. Well, that's a tough one, man. It, I'm thinking Unforgiven, but possibly Reservoir Dogs. I, have you done this like one after the other, like the last one again? What do you mean? Like one was like... 41 and one was 42. No, no. Because no. absolutely Reservoir Dogs and Unforgiven should be right next to each other. <laughs> I, mm. I don't know. I reckon it was probably Reservoir Dogs, but I'm not sure. I'm happy to go with that. It was Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Came in at 75th. <laughs> yeah. Aladdin wasn't on the list at all. Um, Which just that, so you know. that just makes me sad. <laughs> Uh, okay, getting a bit trickier now, probably. Uh, Steve, nineteen eighty-eight Olympics. Nineteen eighty-eight. Is that Seoul? 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 Yeah. Yeah. South Korea. Yeah. Hey, did you know that one? But struggle for Atlanta. That's amazing. Um, so, I'm just I'm just kind of guessing as to that I know like a recent Olympic. I don't know the year. I just know that. <laughs> Saw the yeah. Olympics in like the eighties and whatever. Mm-hmm. I knew ninety two was Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, don't don't keep going any further back because you might give them away. Of course. So, well, um, yes. Die Hard, Cinema Paradiso, or Rain Man. It's got to be Die Hard. Cinema Paradiso. No, it's Die six. Hard. <laughs> have you seen? Have you, see, have you seen Die Hard? I have seen Die Hard. Has, has everyone else going? seen Die Hard is the question. <laughs> Apparently it's, not. Because uh, pe- it, yeah. it should be much higher than Cinema Parody. So, um, I know I sometimes sound like a pretentious film snob, but I mean, fuck me. Cinema Parody so one of the most overrated films of, of all time. But anyway, moving on. Brooker and Brian, back to you guys. You have the 1984 Olympics. I, I know this one. Do you? Yeah. Because I'm sad. 
Okay. <laughs> it's uh, the LA one. It is the LA Olympics. It was yeah. all, at, all at the Coliseum, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that the one where the the Russians were banned or something? Are they boycotted? No. They boycotted, didn't they? Was that that one? I'm getting ahead of myself, I think. I, I uh, This far back, I remember Olympics based on how they appeared in The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you have uh, Once Upon a Time in America, The Terminator, or Amadeus. Fucking hell. Amadeus is old. Um, yeah. Once Upon a Time in America? Yeah, I'd go with that one as well, I think. It's correct. You were just storming through all of these. You've got every single question correct so far. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, so it was uh, 68. Has it got to the stage we can't be beaten yet? We've got to keep on trying. It's correct. Yep, you have already won. <laughs> the by a point. Steve can only get two more points, and he's already slipped up by losing three points. So, yes, well done. Is there any point carrying on? Do you want the last ones? For, I mean, sake? you might as well. You've put all the effort into it. For entertainment value, then. yeah. All right, Steve, Moscow is 1980, but I want the films, please. I knew Moscow is 80. Is it Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> is it Raging Bull or The Elephant Man? Raging Bull. It's Empire Strikes Back by some yeah. distance. Empire Strikes Back is 12th on the list. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very that high. Really high. It is. Um, I'm surprised you didn't go for it as well, Steve, to be honest. Well, I was trying to get the right answer rather than picking my favourite film. <laughs> like I did with Die Hard. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> whatever. All right. Do, do you guys want to take a punt on 76 or is it, are we going to be here forever? We'll just do the you know film. I, I couldn't tell you where it was hosted. Not a chance. Yeah. Montreal. Okay. Um, I didn't think we'd get that one, to be honest. Um, but films, Network, Rocky, or Taxi Driver? Ooh, Not Taxi Rocky. Driver. I'd have gone Rocky. Oh. Yeah, okay, I'd, I'm happy with that. It was Taxi Driver. Oh. 80th. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Quiz done. Well done, Brooker and Brian. Nice. Yeah, well done. Mm-hmm. That wasn't so bad, was it, that quiz? It wasn't a complete disaster. It could have uh, been worse. Yeah. Oh, it could have been much worse. Mm. As we've experienced over the past few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that's um, that's the quiz. I'm 1-0 down already. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. <laughs> Step closer to the Ouija experiment, mm. too. You can fuck right off. <laughs> In place of what we've been watching, we are going to take a look at the Bourne series of films with the newest Bourne film out um, this week, which Brian and Brooker have seen. We're going to talk about the Bourne film, uh, Bourne films in general, before having a little bit of a review of the latest outing for Matt Damon's character. Um, I've just seen as well in the last couple of days, Matt Damon's going to be in a film about the Great Wall of China. That doesn't look particularly good. Mm. A monster film about the Great Wall of China. I don't get it. Like, what, what, 
what is his what is he doing there? It, it's like, like Pacific he's, Rim, he's, he's, but it's looks like it's set in the Middle Ages or something. Yeah, and he's the only like white guy there. So what's he doing there? He's Tom cruising it up. He is. It's not so he was, he's kept prisoner behind the wall. And I think the job is now you just have to kill your way out or join up with well, that's the defense. Just game, that's just Game of Thrones, isn't it? I don't, don't know. Don't watch Game of Thrones. Prisoner, you get sent to the wall. It's Tits and Dragons, Game of Thrones. Mm. According to Lovejoy. That's all you need for good TV. Apparently so. What, Lovejoy? <laughs> yeah, Lovejoy, Steve. That's what you need for good TV. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, yeah, so so before we do the newest Bourne film, what do we think of the Bourne films? Um, where, do, where do we stand on those? Are we all fans? I'm a fan. Better than Bond. Well, well, fun than Bond, but, isn't it, lately? Bond became born after, well, Casino Royale. That was a very borny Bond. But he didn't. Bond's never put a magazine in a toaster and used it to explode a house. He's just not fucking trying hard enough, is he? And I, can't, I watched, I've watched three of them this week. I didn't watch the runner one. But in one of them, Matt Damon's arm was a towel. <laughs> it's... I like that it's inventive. I'm looking forward to watching a film that's not born and has cameras that stay still. What I'd quite like to see is a born film or someone who has corrected all the judder so you can see the fighting actually happening and not all this wobbling about. I think that was interesting when it happened and now I'm, I'm kind of done with that. I think what, what you're looking for is the raid. Yes, yeah. yeah. The raid is... <laughs> well, or dread. Dread's the raid done better. Um... <gasps> Oh. Mm, not sure. um, but Dread is great. I'd you know, both. But as far as Bourne goes, I can take or leave any of them. Um, I can't remember which of the original three that I've seen and what order they're in. Um, it goes identity, supremacy, ultimatum, legacy, Jason Bourne. That's got to be worth a point. Yeah. Um, but, I'll yeah, take so, your word for it, yeah. So... I, li- I like them. They're, they're as good as action films are going to be. But they're as good as that type of film is going to be. And I find them probably more enjoyable than Bond at the moment, where they are kind of compared to, but Bond has tried to be born, like someone said a minute ago, whereas Bond could probably be, do better by going back to being Bond and let Bond be born. Bond has an identity crisis. Hmm. But I think um, the, the the thing about the Bourne films is the the timing of them when they came out, and it's the fact that I've I've said it a few times on this podcast in the past that you know if you think of eighties action films and what they are big you know muscly men full of steroids um, saying son of a bitch to each other and basically blowing shit up constantly nineties action films are where they try to be a bit cool. And, you know, oh, everyone loves them, but they're not into that. They're too cool for school kind of thing. And then the 2000s action films were defined, I think, by Bourne, Casino Royale, and um, kind of to a lesser extent Taken. Um, I'd say those are the three defining films of that era. And for better or worse, Bourne came along and said, look, you can have these spy espionage films and you can make them if not realistic, at least in the way that it's shot, seem um, real. You haven't got to have these goofy Bond films. There's no more, you know, fucking P-51 
Pierce Brosnan Bond with his submarine cars and stuff. And there's it's... there's no pyrotechnics, there's no gadgets. It's you you take a phone book, you tear it in half, you batter someone with the the edge of it. Yeah, exactly. Because that know, would hurt like it, fuck. <laughs> yeah, precisely. You don't need a laser pen. You can just beat someone with your fist. You just. Well, I think you just need a normal pen. You can go oh, it with a normal oh, pen. Oh, you just remind me of that, that bit in Born Identity where he jams a pen through someone's hand. He jams a pen. It's oh, I'm crossing both my arms now because it... Yeah, it was grim. But um, I think it... it, it in, a, in a 12-rated <laughs> film as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, as far as the films go, on a personal level, I'm, I'm, they're much of a muchness for me, but I, I kind of appreciate that they came along and... And gave the um, the genre a a kind of personality for for that era. As much as Paul Greengrass's shaky cam did really annoy me, you know. And everyone tried I to. Me, I've it. never minded Greengrass's shaky cam. No. It's never bothered me. I know a lot of people really pissed and moaned about it with Green Zone, and it was bad in Green Zone. But it just it never bothered me. I quite liked it, you know. I've seen, I've seen enough shitty found footage yeah. horror films to be able to just look straight through I it. I think it's the fact that um, it, it seems to be a way to... I guess the point is to add a bit of, uh, you know, pace, a bit of energy, um, a sort of frenetic energy to, to action scenes, to fight scenes. Um, but to me, it just seems like it's trying to hide either bad choreography or, uh, it, at, at worst, obscuring good cho- choreography. Well, I, I was watching and thinking of how much I enjoyed Kingsman and the church scene mm. where the camera pulls back and you get to see how everyone's moving, you get a sense of the space. Yep. And like with the car scenes, the chase scenes in Bourne, okay, I get it, it's all wobbly because you want a sense of movement and a sense of pace. Mm-hmm. But plan back, show us these two guys fighting. We don't need to be up in their personal space for it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. Let me see what you're trying to show me, uh, is how I feel. But, I mean, at the, at the same time, though, like you say, like Kingsman, like you pull back and you see what everyone's doing with the space. 90% of the fights in Bourne are in really enclosed spaces. And I actually, I think a lot of it, it works really well. To It makes you feel like you're you know enclosed in there with them. I have to admit, I quite liked it. And it does... Maybe it's because I've I've been in enough fights to know what it feels like to be you know beaten in the face when you're you're in a tight little area like that. It, it feels like you're right in the middle of the fight. I I quite liked it. I get yeah that, that's I mean I get that it's meant to be this kind of uh, well I guess intimate is the the wrong word but that you yeah. you meant to be I think frenetic is the word is the right word mm. for it. But I mean it's the way that it's meant to um, draw you into it in a kind of personal way uh i get i get what the the point of of the the shakiness is i just think it looks bad and it i would rather you know you can have the close-ups i'd rather see the fights in these close-ups or um over the shoulder shots than having camera buzzing around the screen constantly every time someone's hit the camera shakes and flies off in a different direction it just um I don't know, and the, of course, like I said, the worst thing about it is the uh, amount of copycat directors trying it and doing it even worse. You know, at least Paul Greengrass had an idea of what he was trying to do and what, how he could make it work in his in his mind. Um, 
but yeah. So as yeah, what about this new one then? Is it is it good? Is it bad? Um, should people go and see it? Um, What's wrong with it? What's good about it? The, there's a really really good uh, car chase scene at the end. I, I'm not a big one for car chases, mm-hmm. but this one was brutal. Um, yeah, I, I I've got a big smile on my face. I'd watch it for that one. Um, <laughs> where's Where's Jeremy Renner in this one? He he ended Born Legacy on a yacht, not so being retarded. It doesn't, it doesn't mention him at all. He's no. Just, no, this this is set. It, it it is. I don't think it's actually mentioned in the film. I think the wiki says it's set ten years after Born Ultimatum. Right. And Legacy happens at the same time as Born Ultimatum. Okay. So Jeremy Ren is still off doing his thing, but he gets another film, twenty eighteen. Oh, right, okay. So they're continuing yeah. that aspect of the franchise then, or the series, yeah. I don't know. Would you call it a franchise? Well, I think it was supposed to... Yeah, yeah well, I'd call it a franchise, yeah. I think Justin Lin was supposed to make a film, uh, a sequel to Legacy with Jeremy oh, Renner. God. And I think that was supposed to happen this year. But then obviously the whole Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon getting back together thing happened. So we got this. And that one got pushed back. So it's, it's still on the cards that we get a sequel. I'm pretty sure it's 2018. I'm not sure it's Justin Lin anymore. I don't really like Justin Lin. I think his action stuff is a bit cartoonish. And... Yeah. Um. All right. Okay. So is it... I mean, I... I didn't mind Legacy and the, like I said, the other films I can, I can, all of them I can just take all in. Would it be worth someone who's not just seen the previous three with Matt Damon in going to see, or do you really need to do your homework on it? It's, you do get a little bit of exposition at the beginning. It doesn't last very long and it catches you up as much as you need to if you manage to to get from 2002 to here without watching Although the it, film. it starts with like the last five minutes of the last film mm-hmm. which was choppy anyway because it goes between two time periods and there's the only clue it's two different periods is Matt Damon's got a different shirt if I right. I yeah. find it difficult to get to grips with the first time clearly flashback yeah camera. it's not coloured differently I, I find that I think that would be slightly tricky but you also don't mm-hmm. get, like, you're meant to have some sort of emotional investment because you've been with these characters for, what, when did Born Identity come out? 2001? 2002. Yeah, so you, you've, you've been with these characters for, like, 14 years. Mm-hmm. I think coming into it cold will be a difficult one. Yeah, I do think you would have a problem coming into it cold, mainly because the first 20 minutes feel really, really kind of... The Labor. first 20 minutes were not good. The first, just getting Bourne back into the Bourne film, just, it felt like such a struggle. And if it wasn't for the fact that you'd seen and most likely enjoyed the first three or four films, whichever way you want to look at it, you would probably look at that and go, the fuck am I Is watching? it going to be a film of people tapping at keyboards and saying I'm hacked in? I did love I did love uh, Alicia Vikander though. That woman is awesome in everything I see her in, except the Danish girl. Yeah, well, I mean, you say about the uh, tapping the keyboards at the beginning and everything, but the, the when I was publishing your review, Brooker, on the website, very good mm-hmm. review it was too. 
I was looking for screenshots of uh, Jason Bourne to put as the image. The only ones I could find, I mean, I searched for it, and the the first page on Google Images was all of the topless fist fight that he has that you see in the trailer. Yeah. And I mean, how prominent is that scene in the film? Is that <laughs> a big point, or is that just it? It's about 10 seconds long. It's, it's really good, yeah. but it's also really short. Is it yeah, a bit Indiana it, Jones? But it is, is a... Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It, but it's really good, actually. I have to admit, the trailer... I know because I, I sent you that, that thing, didn't I, that bitched and moaned about spoilers in trailers. Nothing in Jason Bourne. Nothing in the trailer. Absolutely, it's absolutely brilliant. Okay. So, so yeah, that little bit, it looks really cool. It lasts about 10 seconds, and that's you don't need any more than that. I didn't watch the trailer because all you need to see is I came down the stairs at the cinema, and there was a big picture of Matt Damon's face and saying, Born 2016. I went, yes. Mm-hmm. Sold. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a film that's just made for fans of the series, then. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much it. I mean, I don't think I saw a trailer until... It appeared in the cinema maybe a couple of weeks ago. It hasn't been really heavily marketed, certainly not in the films I've been watching. But it's got Bourne in the title, and because I'm a fan, I just go, well, yeah, it's Bourne, I'll watch it. Does Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass, do they kind of slip back into their roles seamlessly? or? Oh, for sure. Once once you get to that point where past the opening, uh, like, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and you're, you're back into, it feels like a Bourne film. It's You know, you, you get a good car chase, you get a bit of suspense. It's yeah, it's it feels like a Bourne film. Once once you get past the uh, the really really kind of boring struggle to get through mm-hmm. the early the early section, it's yeah, it's definitely Bourne. It's interesting because it's I, I'm pretty sure it's the first one with Matt Damon and it isn't actually based on one of the books. I'm almost certain of that. So it's interesting that they've done all their own thing for the story, and yet it still feels like Bourne. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose um, because they're so familiar with the with well the series, you you you'd at least hope for them getting the tone of it right. I suppose. Absolutely, and I think they do. They they nail it. Is there any any more to say on it, or we're going to move on? Um, I would just say that they they must have spent quite a lot of money getting the wizards in to keep Tommy Lee Jones from melting. He, Not yeah, enough money. He looked but... like he'd just been through the sewage works in Robocop. <laughs> he, he genuinely looked like his face was about to fall off. Got some powerful necromancers. <laughs> um, but I was yeah. saying when we logged in that Bourne films are just a vehicle. So you sit for an hour and a half, two hours, just for the end, where you can play Extreme Ways. And then you sit with Extreme Ways in your head for the next five days. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Just like that one long note at the start. All for it. It's great. Time for Triple Bill now, where we are this time round having a look at our three favourite sports films with the 2016 Rio Olympics just around the corner. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off with one of yours? Okay, so the well, one of the things about this particular triple bill is we're we're sort of rebooting one that we've rebooted. That's me putting a quite a grand 
word to it, but we we did do a, a sports triple bill years ago, August 2012. It was one of the first um, standalone triple bill episodes that we actually did. That sounds like it was for the last Olympics somehow. Mm. August 2012 would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been. Um, yeah, I didn't really think about it like that, but yeah, that's probably why we did do it that at that point. Um, so, uh, I mean, it was kind of difficult for me. I wanted to choose completely different films. Um, so that's what I've done. I haven't picked the same three again. That would be pointless. Uh, so I'll, I'll get the first one out of the way first, obviously. And Is it United Passions? It's not United Passions. United Passions wasn't even on the very long list that I drew up before... I don't believe that in the slightest. I mean, it was tough to leave it out, but um, wasn't quite in the top 250 films I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, So, yeah, first one first. Sylvester Stallone as a down-and-out screw-up who was one shot at redemption. Of course, I'm talking about the uh, Road Trip Arm Wrestling Room movie by Canon Studios Over the Top. Um, No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, it's obviously, I mean, seventy-six classic uh, Rocky. Uh, I, one thing I noticed when I was, I was putting this list together, boxing films are just the best for this, aren't they? There's so many good boxing movies. You know, Raging I, I, Bull. What are you going to say, Steve? I think it. I think it's quite hard in a in a film to portray a, a team sport well. Mm-hmm. So films like Rocky, um, you know, boxing films, because it is just one person against another and you can concentrate on one person training and get your training on, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's still very much a character story. I think it's quite difficult to do a, a team movie. I think they're just harder to Yeah, that's to a fair do. point, actually. Or even if you're looking at doing, say, so a a George Best movie because because he's uh, part of a team the sports bits of it never quite work I mean you might be able to get somebody who can portray George Best excellently come across really do really well at it but the actual on pitch stuff and perhaps that's why something like the Damned United worked better because it was about a manager rather than a player we, we will probably come on to that so okay. hold that there yeah but you know <laughs> With, uh, yeah, well, I guess you're not expecting um, much Shinji Okazaki in the Jamie Vardy film, then, in that case. Um, yeah, I don't think the Jamie Vardy movie... Was that all actual things you it just said? It was a word, yeah, it was a name. Because none of that sounded like English to <laughs> well, me. It was Japanese. Well, it was, yeah, it was Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> um, none of it sounded like actual words to me. Well, I was trying to think, to, back onto Rocky, I was trying to think of boxing films that I liked. And there was loads of them. So, you know, Raging Bull, obviously. Uh, Southpaw was, you know, pretty good for the performances, at least. Um, Creed, quite recently. I know it's a, a Rocky film. And Rocky Balboa, of course, both really good. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, we mentioned at the start of the show, um, which won four Oscars. I don't know how it won four Oscars, because it was good, but it wasn't great. Uh, you know, even stuff like there's a Korean film called Crying Fist with uh, Choi Min-sik in it. And... Uh, the name doesn't sound familiar. He's the guy from Old Boy and I Saw the Devil, which is a pretty good film, just about a former boxer turned street performer. Let's people punch him for money. And it's it's quite a good drama, and it's about him getting his family back and respect and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, and that seems to be the 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 uh, the the tact that most boxing films employ is uh, it's about redemption, and so it's also current. It's also a strand that runs through most sports movies, but I think probably none that do it quite as well as Rocky does it. You know, there 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 are great true stories for boxing to be based on. I know Rocky pulls much of its fictional plot from real life. Uh, events, real people, um, but it's just great. I mean, I only watched it for the first time not long before we recorded the last Sports Triple Bill back in August uh, 2012, and I didn't include it on my list then because it was the first time I'd actually seen it. It was the first, that, you know. Have you seen Assault in the Ring, the HBO documentary? No. It's it's pretty good. It's about a fight, an actual fight where one of the the fighters had his like fist and plaster and he, he knocked the fuck out of his opponent. The opponent ended up not brain damaged but he did he killed himself not long afterwards. The the other fighter was suspended. His trainer, who was plainly the one who did all the bad stuff, was banned. But no one actually knew it they couldn't prove it was him. Um and it's pretty sad about how several folks' lives were ruined because of one guy yeah. cheating. Uh, what was it called again? Assault in the Ring. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to look into that then. Uh, Basically, HBO yeah. documentaries are pretty yep. much always great, especially okay. sports ones. Um, yeah, anything more on Rocky, Owen? Or have you... Well, I was just going to say how, you know, I think you'd be hard-pushed to call it the best directed movie ever or that you know saying it had the sharpest writing or the greatest performances but you know it's kind of widely uh, held opinion that it's just got a lot of heart in it hasn't it and every time you see or at least every time I, I've watched it since um, that first time you, you just you just get how it's just like a love letter to a particular place a particular time a particular type of person um, and I've just got a huge amount of time for it I just think it's a, it's a it's a great movie. Well, with my list, I decided to make things a little bit more difficult and limit myself to picking sports movies released 2010 or later. Um, and while we're on the Rocky theme, I thought I might as well go for Creed um, as my first pick. So the latest instalment of the Rocky franchise, but without uh, Rocky in the ring... Um, although he is in the film, it's about uh, the uh, son of Apollo Creed, Adonis, um, Adonis Creed or Adonis Johnson, um, becoming a champion boxer under the tutelage of his father's friend Rocky Balboa. It was a bit of a bit of a surprise hit. I think everyone was expecting it to be more Rocky Balboa than Rocky, and it ended up being fantastic. Not well, down to purely performances from um, Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone. Stallone was Oscar nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his his role in this, and, and Michael B. Jordan was was great as um, Adonis, the new the new boxing champion. I've still got issues with a hundred thousand people at Goodison Park. Um, <laughs> it's, it, that still baffles me beyond the list belief. One of the biggest plot holes I've ever seen in the film. <laughs> but, but no, the film the film was great, um, and I hope they're going to continue. I hope they're going to be another one. 
I think there will be. Yeah, there is. There is going to be another yeah. one, isn't there? I think you you said you mentioned as well how everyone expected it to be more Rocky Balboa than Rocky, and then you know it turned out to basically be Rocky for a modern audience, didn't it? It was kind. It was kind of what the Force Awakened was for Star Wars in some ways. Mm-hmm. It it was kind of punch by punch. It was it was Rocky, but in mm-hmm. a newer newer form. Punch by punch, very good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, good that. It was it was uh, not so subtle, but good. Yeah. But no, it was. Yeah, I think is was that is that right? And everyone else who's seen it, were you expecting it to be not so good? I thought I was expecting it to be good. I I, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting to, you know, for it to be absolutely excellent and you know sit there, you know, lumping my throat at the end of the film. I didn't expect yeah. that at all. Uh, pleasantly surprised. Um. So. Brooker, what's your first first pick? So, also, we're going to start off with just mentioning how daft it is that you've brought me onto a uh, <laughs> podcast with sports as the triple bill because I don't do any sports. Like that's at not all. true. You you're uh, really into gonna... like American sports, though, right? And this is where I can kind of choose good films. I think so. We'll start with uh, 2009's The Blind Side. Yeah, I like I like the blind side. Yeah, you seen yeah. it? Yeah. A, a, another film, and it's one of those rare sports films that again just has you in tears at the end of it because it's such a great film and such a an awesome true story. But actually, what's quite cool about it, especially for us, is because we are we're, we're a house that watches American football religiously, uh, so we watch the guy that it's about play every week mm. and the, this this true story of of uh, Michael Orr coming up from literal poverty to being drafted by the Baltimore Ravens is it's just an awesome awesome film and you know Sandra Bullock quite deservedly got an Oscar for it you know it's written by the guy that wrote Moneyball and The Big Short so the guy's had quite a few of his books put to film and all of them really could is is there anything in the film about the position that Michael Orr plays, or is it all just telling his story? Well, he you do get a little bit of explanation as to what the blind side is. Because there's the the book is like half, well, like one third the history of American college football yeah. and American football tactics, and two thirds of Michael Orr's story. But there's a bit at the beginning that talks about the importance of the blind side, and it's talking about like a really famous tackle, and it says Teesman has played in 163 straight games, a record for the Redskins. He's led his team to two Super Bowls and won one. He's 36 years old. He's certain he still has a few good years left in him. He's wrong. He has less than half a second. Yep. Because Michael Lewis tells a story really well, and yep. he explains things. Really well. The, the book is super for working out why someone like Michael Orr is important. Does the film do that? The film does do that. The the film uh, it it does this this spectacular. It does well. It does it in a couple of ways. It explains why his position needs to be there as uh, as part of a let's call it a tactic meeting on the field, and it explain and they explain to him because obviously 
No, calling him simple is really fucking mean. But because he doesn't quite... He, he, he doesn't understand he how doesn't football works. He doesn't quite understand how football works. So they, what they do is, by this point, he's developed uh, a, a bond with the kids, the Tui kids. So she explains to him that he, you know, how he would protect the kids is how he has to protect the quarterback. And it's a really, I mean, the scene only lasts about five minutes, but it does, it does do a really, really good job of explaining the, the, the role of the guy in the blind side. And yeah, I, I haven't read the book. I, I, I tend to not have the time, energy or patience to read a lot of nonfiction, but it's, you know, the film as a film does a very, very good job of telling all the story and, and explaining the importance of the position because you're right it is a very important position and because you know before left tackle was there there were a lot of really bad injuries you know it it was a definite the the game had to evolve with michael Orr's position. At, the, at, at, the, at the start of like 10 years before the film left tackle was getting buttons yep and then Around like the blindside time, it was the second highest or sometimes highest paid position on the field. Yep. Um, but I read the blindside when I was reading Inverting the Pyramid, okay. which is about how football tactics developed. Yeah. And it's fascinating to see the trends that happen with people thinking and finding ways to counteract other people's thinking. Yep. And to me, that's the big story in the blindside, not a, a poor kid who did really well. It is, but at the, at the same time, that that story doesn't sell very well. I know, and it is a real shame. But I, I would say give the film a chance because the film is is excellent. Uh, oh, I, you know, there, I'm not holding against it. There, this are, thing. there are these these moments, and obviously, it is it does concentrate on Michael Orr and the Tuies and their story. But it, it is a really very well told film, and there are points. I mean, if you're not in tears at points of this film, you're just completely soulless. So I'm going to find out. <laughs> um, Brian, what's your first film? My first film is, as you get to say, oh, it's not really a sport, but Rush, the 2013 uh, Formula well, One I'll just, film. I'll just chip in here because Rush was also my second pick. So, I watched it not knowing anything about it other than that Nicky Lauda got burned. So, for a start, it's super tense because I didn't know who's going to win. And all sports, usually all sports films have the good guys, our team, and the bad guys, everyone else. But there isn't a good guy or bad guy in this one. Like, you're meant, it starts off like you should be going with James Hunt because he's the lead and he's he's blonde and attractive. He's a fucking (laughs) dick. And then... Lauder comes in as this baddie because he's he's arrogant and he's he's a German, well Austrian, and he's definitely the baddie. And then you get to see both of them as people away from the sport, what motivates them, how they interact with each other. Like they aren't goodies and baddies; they're both competing against themselves, against each other. I really liked it because it was different to what I usually get in a sports film. Yeah. What were you um, going to say about it? I like the the juxtaposition between the main two characters. So you've got 
two um, Formula One drivers who are driven. Is that another one? That another that, that pun? Even, that Joke number on, two. That, that one wasn't on purpose. That just happened. Okay. Um, yeah, driven to success, but they do it in different ways. So James Hunt is kind of this maverick um, risk taker, quite brash. He's quite bold. He's he's arrogant uh, and he takes risks. He's he's daring. He'll not listen to his team team advice. If he sees you know an overtake, he'll do it even if it's in a dangerous situation. He'll just go for it no matter what the, the risk, the personal risk is or the risk to other people. And you've got Nicky Lauda, who's who's also driven to success, but he's very calculated. He's all, he's all about tweaking the car to get the most, you know, he's very, whereas James Hunt's team might be tweaking the car to get the best speed out of it. He doesn't really care. He's just sort of, make the best car you can. I'm just going to race it really fast. And I'm sure he's a bit more accurate than that. But <laughs> Nicky Lauda's sort of, He's in there with the team. He's like, well, if we can take this bit out and make the car a little bit lighter, if we can do this, we can, we can tweak this and tweak that. And he, you know, he's he's studying the tracks and, and working out the turns and the best way to take them and all this kind of thing. There's two very different, um, very different athletes and styles, but both ultimately successful at what they do. And it's just quite interesting to see how that plays out. It's also got for fans of excessive violence. It's got one of the worst curb stompings I've seen in film. I haven't seen a lot of them, but oh, it's brutal. I don't remember that in Rush. I've I've not seen it. It's after the interview when the the journalist says to Lauda, how's your fucked up face affected your life? And Hunt says, come on here, I'll tell you you all the gossip. And he takes the guy's recorder, shoves it in between his teeth and stamps on it. Does he? I've got yes. no memory of that. No. I'm sure I would have remembered something that watch, bad. Watch it again. Yeah. And go, Ooh. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, what's your second film? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, it is the Damned United, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Um, yes. I. I mean, it's, I only ended up watching the Damned United. I didn't really have any interest in it. I mean, I, I'm a big football fan, but I didn't have any interest in watching the Damned United. And I only ended up watching it. Because I left it too late before a train journey, and it was quite a long journey. I thought I've got about an hour and a half to kill. There must be something on iPlayer that I can just download, and it was the only thing that I thought sounded vaguely interesting. Um, so I did download it, and I ended up absolutely loving it. I thought it was it was fantastic, and not least because of uh, Michael Sheen's just absolutely stunning performance. As the uh, what's he called? So-called you know greatest manager England never had, Brian Clough. Um, you know, well, fam- to... famously said, "I'm not the great, I'm I'm not the greatest manager in the world, but I'm in the top one." Yeah, yeah, and he's you know obviously everyone knows about um, well anyone who knows anything about football knows a little bit about Brian Clough. Um, I mean, I'm too young to remember watching any of his teams play, but it's. You you kind of know a bit about his legacy and the impact that he had on football and um, and possibly even people might know of his ill-fated spell in charge of Leeds United, who were the biggest team in the country at the time in the seventies. Um, I I did find it to be quite an interesting story, uh, but it was probably the performances that hooked me in really. Um, not just Michael Sheen, but you know Timothy Spall was was great. 
Uh, you had Doug Revy, who's played by Cole Meany, who is also always great and has a lot of gravitas and draws your attention to him whenever he's on screen. Um, and also, it's probably my favourite Tom Hooper film. You know, although it's not a particularly high standard, I wasn't really enamoured with stuff like Les Mears and King's Speech, and particularly not The Danish Girl. But it's... Oh, King's Speech is really good. I love the King's Speech. Like I've I've got a stammer, but the King's Speech is super yeah, good. Yeah, I'm not so sure, but the uh, but this is a, a cut above those in in my opinion. Um, I mean, and one one scene in particular that's cut above the others in the film is the one with Clough when he's pacing back and forth in the dressing room as uh, his team Derby are playing Leeds, and you you don't really see anything of the match. You can just hear it through the little window in the dressing room, and you just see Sheen sort of. His, his anguished expressions, I think I described it as when, when I watched it and reviewed it on the podcast, as, you know, has he, as he's experiencing the match, it's just a, he doesn't say anything, but he, he plays it all through, the, the, through, uh, through his facial expressions, through his, his little uh, movements and stuff, and it was, it was just brilliant. It's, it, it could probably have made my list of top three sports films just on that scene alone, never mind all the other great things about the damned united um so yeah so that's that's my second choice it was that was at a time where um where michael sheen was kind of seemed to be bidding to become the the best impressionist mm. in yeah, cause the you world rather than just the best actor just a great actor like just the best impressionist going yeah although i thought that does belittle a little bit about what he does i think well, yeah, kind of, but he was doing a lot of roles where he was where he's getting a lot of credit, um, mm. but he was he was playing real life people rather than fictional characters, mm-hmm. and and a vampire thing in Twilight. I'm making my book group read uh, the Damned United, and they went, oh, "Is it about football?" Uh, so see how many of them actually read mm. it and how many enjoy it. I'm only a little bit into it. But I've got past the bit where he says, "Take all your medals, put them in the bin." Can't want any of it. It's it's yeah. he's so engaging as a character to watch. Like it, you couldn't have made him up yeah. if he didn't exist. That's right. Because no one would believe it. the The tagline, the bit in the poster, says, "They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but I wasn't on that particular job." <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you. You couldn't make people like a character who's that mm-hmm. much of an arse unless you're very, very good about it. And he got away with it by being very, mm-hmm. very good about it and very good at his job. So, um, Brooker, what's your second film? As we've already had mine with, with Brian's first one. Fair enough. So my my second one is one that, uh, that Owen has already briefly mentioned. That's last year's Southpaw. Oh, right. Which... I mean, there are a couple of a couple of boxing films. So you got like this and The Fighter, and there are a couple of uh, MMA films that I really like, like The Warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was trying to put this list together, the only one of those that actually that, that gets a real emotional reaction out of me is Southpaw. Every time I watch it, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. I you know I'm cheering for the guy. I I think it's just such a great film. I, I mean, I've, I've sung his praises a million times on the podcast, but it's from Antoine Fuqua, one of my favourite directors. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's still some of his best work. It's not his actual best, 
but you know, it's some of his, his greatest work as a director. Uh, I think Gyllenhaal is amazing and looks fucking scary because holy crap, I wish I had the time to make myself look like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's what what probably makes it different from the rest of the films we'll talk about tonight is it's one of the few that that isn't based on or you know or has its roots in a true story anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know it's completely fictional. It it's more of a drama about you know ch- you know getting custody of your children. It just happens to have boxing as its backdrop. But I do I genuinely think it's a it's a fantastic film. Uh, and I can watch it over and over again, and every time I'm, you know, I'm still, like I say, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm, I'm swinging punches with Gyllenhaal because I want to help him out. It's such a great film. Uh, it just, uh, a film should make you want to cheer, you know, especially a sports film, which should make you want to cheer at the end of it. And I do. When I, I saw it at the cinema, I wanted to get up and yell. Uh, and again, I do it at home all the time. It's just, you know, there's, it's just one of those films that that gets me every time I watch it. I think when we talked about it before, um, I think I, m- I must have told you back then that uh, I, I really thought Jake Gyllenhaal was great uh, in Southpaw, but I, I felt the film were... It was, it was good, I enjoyed it, but I have had no inclination to give it another go. I just felt like it was done, and I... Wasn't sure I'd get anything else out of it again. I mean, is that me being a bit Fair too enough. judgmental, or is it worth sort of seeing again? And I, I don't know. I mean, I do. You know, I'm very, uh, I'm very aware that a lot of the emotional pull from that film comes from the mm-hmm. little girl. So I'm, I'm very aware that like that would probably resonate with me more mm-hmm. than you, because yeah. I have a little <laughs> girl. You know, uh, I, I am aware that that's. You know that's probably why I, I I love it a bit more than a lot of mm-hmm. people, but I mean I don't know. It, it it's not like uh, it's not like I'm talking to one of my mates who doesn't watch films mm-hmm. ever and went oh, I was a bit shit so I turned it off. Mm-hmm. You know you you know your films you know what you like. If you didn't like it first time around or you you know or it just didn't register with you that much first time around, I can't see you getting any more out of it. There's there's no real layers to yeah, the film. Yeah, that's what I felt, you really. It's, it's a poor man's Rocky. It's a, you know, a dude loses everything and comes back and gets everything back. You know, there's there's no, there's no, uh, you know, there's no real undercurrent that you missed at any point, mm. you know. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like I say, me, I can go back to it. I, I'd gladly watch it tonight once we're done recording and I'd have as much fun with it and I'd have as, as strong a reaction to it as I did the first time I watched it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, different strokes. Brian, what's your second pick? My second film is called Trophy Kids. It's a documentary. It, it was, They took highlights of it and made it the first episode of State of Play, which is a, a sports documentary series about young athletes. It's basically a, about young athletes whose parents coach them slash push them. If you want to see someone called it your daughter fucking cunt or something, <laughs> this is the film for you. Um it's it's 
winner on the it's watch really, list. <laughs> it's a really difficult watch because it's parents who are just terrible at being parents. Um, that it falls like the, there's a few athletes that are there. There's an eight year old girl who does golf. And her dad decided, I want her to be like the next Tiger Woods, so I'm going to coach her. He doesn't know how coaching works. He barely knows how parenting works, but he's going to uh. push her all the time. And he, he pulls her off the green and says, you're embarrassing me, you're embarrassing yourself, you're embarrassing us. Um, there's a basketball player who, he's ho-hum at basketball. He kind of enjoys playing basketball, less so when his dad's on the sideline, shouting and putting his head in his hands and all that. There's a kid who's ho-hum at playing American football but his dad takes him out and to the, the park and he trains him and trains him and trains him he trains all the joy this kid ever has in sport out and fills it with anxiety and fear of not being good enough and resentment for his dad and then there's a mum who's got two kids they both play tennis and her idea is that the kids have got a gift from God to play tennis they should use it they should enjoy it and they're well adjusted. And sport isn't this huge thing for them. It's the thing that they do that's quite good fun. Um it's 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 really difficult to to watch because mm. it's just horrible. And you think when the cameras stop rolling, these kids still live in this house. And they still have this parent being shit with them. And how like I do sports coaching. Um, I do, it's non-competitive. I do not care how well they do. Not so much. We don't stand on the um, sidelines yelling, get in there, you fucking cunt. I have had a half-time team talk from some guy who I play at a tremendously low level. He used to be high level. And his half-time team talk, team talk was get fucking stuck into <laughs> these cunts. Thought, wow. Yeah, he's not come back to the club for quite a while. Um... <laughs> But no, our team talk is, look, we're, we're here to have fun. We're here to play hockey. This is how you do it better. But who cares? I mean, I can understand that there will be a pressure. And I know I've spoken to folk who have said, I probably could have been all right at football. I maybe could have been professional if I'd stuck in at it. And you see the parents who are thinking, he could be good if he sticks in at it. I'll have him stick in. And it, it's a difficult seesaw between let them go back and enjoy it versus really push in so they can achieve their mm. best. But pretty much every single one of it, every single one of them does it. Wrong. Okay. Um. Um. Owen, right, what's your final choice? Uh, my final choice is um a documentary, uh called Hoop Dreams, which is uh well, actually it's Robert Roger Ebert's favorite film or was Roger Ebert's favorite film. Directed by a guy called Steve James. Um, and Steve James also, coincidentally, directed the documentary Life Itself about Roger Ebert, which is a kind of nice little um, touch. So Hoop Dreams, uh, it's long. I think that's the first thing. I always have to try and disclaimer to people. It's, it's long. It's 171 minutes. Cool. But it's worth every single second of that runtime. I don't often say that about films that long. I always think, well, you know, it's a bit tedious at this point or, you know, the pace could have been a little bit quicker or it's a bit self-indulgent. Not at all. Not at all with Hoop Dreams. Uh, it was made in 1994. 
uh, or it was released in 1994, follows two young uh, black kids or uh, African-American kids, Arthur Adji and William Gates, in Chicago over the course of five years. So it starts as they begin in high school through to them joining uh, college. And it's kind of it's easy to describe the film to, in saying that it's about their aspirations to become professional basketball players. Uh, but it's also about how the school system and the culture they grow up in uh, gears them towards success only being achievable through realizing these uh, childish dreams, if you like, to to earn money and to be respected through basketball through being professional basketball stars. And that's it. That is the only way that you can really get through school. It's the only way that your education is going to be taken care of uh, is if you're good at this sport. Um, but it's just so much more than that. It's, it's, it is about the American educational system, which is scrutinised um, through a very personal narrative about these two kids and the way that it, it kind of drowns them uh, with the, with this ambition. But, you know, they both come from different sides of the tracks in a way. You know, you've got these kids, two of them, one's from a very broken family and the other is from a not so broken family, but hardly uh, middle class. And it's about the way that they go through school. Um, and, man, it's just like you just begin to feel connected to the kids in it. You, it really pulls you in. It's so completely and utterly absorbing. Um, it's amazing, really. It's, it's amazing. It, it's one of those films that when it's ended, even though it's it's so long, you feel like, what about the rest of the story? What happened to these guys? I know this is made in 1994, but this can't be it. You know, you're so into the what these what, what these kids have experienced that five years just doesn't seem like enough. Um and I'm not going to say what happens to them. You can read up about what, what they went on to do uh, at, as they went through college and stuff because it's, it's published online. But it's just an absolutely astounding documentary. Um, it, it's one of the best documentaries ever committed to film, in my opinion, regardless of the fact that it's about sport, regardless of that and trying to shoehorn it into a triple bill about sports films. It's just, it, it's just you've got to see it really, to believe it. It's okay. phenomenal. Okay, my final choice is also a documentary, um, <clears throat> part of ESPN's 30 for 30 series. Um, so I think they did something like 30 documentaries because it was 30 years of ESPN and then they released some more on top of that. Um, <clears throat> and the one that I am picking is the Hillsborough documentary. Now, being uh, an English football fan, Hillsborough has been ingrained on myself as a huge disaster, uh, not just in, in British sport, but in, in Britain. It's one of the biggest and most memorable disasters that's, that's happened. Um, <clears throat> but only being two years old, two and a half years old at the time it happened, um, don't didn't really actually know much about it. Knew what it was, knew it was a, an incident at a stadium that saw... Um, quite a lot of people die, and it was quite a, a tragic event. But never knew the the particulars of it. Never knew the ins and outs, the conspiracies that have now been proven not to be conspiracies. But you know, at the time, the conspiracies, the cover ups, the 
the rumours, the stories. That, and, and this documentary, um, actually quickly, what I will say about the 30 for 30 series is there's not many bad documentaries in it. They do a very good job of explaining a sport or event to you if you're not familiar with it. Um, so like an American football one, it explain it very well. The sport, the situation. But anyway, back to the Hillsborough one. Um, so it, it talks you through the day, what happened on the day, the lead up to the game, um, and then what happened, what ha- what caused the incident, and then it goes through the aftermath as well. And it's just a really good in-depth look at something that I didn't know about but felt I really should know something about. Um, it covers all the bases without kind of seemingly having an agenda or a particular side or, or telling one person's story. It's very broad but very in-depth at the same time. Um, and it, it gives you this, this really good in-depth insight into something that's been in the news quite a lot in the last couple of years um, with the outcomes of all the various inquests and inquiries that have have happened recently yeah this i haven't seen that particular one but there have been some good 30 for 30 documentaries i like the um they did one about muhammad ali i think and one which is about the la lakers which was, yeah. was pretty interesting with uh, uh who presented that i want to say exhibit ice cube. ice cube wasn't it yeah 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 that was uh that was quite an interesting one. I, I mean, they do seem very. Ah, uh, what's the what's the word? Very, you know, cut back, but because they they're not very long, are they? So they don't no, have the, a lot the hill, of time. The Hillsborough to... one was quite long. The Hillsborough one was at least an hour, I think. Mm. Um, they do they they're they generally tend to be around half an hour, I think. But there are the odd odd few that are mm-hmm. lengthier. But uh, yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a good choice because um you know the the ESPN twenty for thirty series have been pretty good from what I've seen, very consistent. Um, um, Brooke, what's your third choice? So my third one is not a documentary, <laughs> but what is? Uh, it's a bit of an institution in our house. Uh, we watch it at least once a year, and at least uh that one that once a year. Is always uh, Super Bowl weekend. It's a, uh, it's a. Uh, sorry, can't talk. It's Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday from '99, which is. It's not just probably my favourite sports film. It's probably in my top five films of all time. Uh, it's, it's the brilliant thing about this film because it's, it's not just a story of a football team and football players, and it's. And it's not just one of those films that actually makes the on-screen football look good, uh, which is very hard. And you know, I've seen enough American football films and soccer films and whatever films you want to watch. Simulating those team sports usually comes out looking quite shit because uh, it never quite you, you can never quite choreograph it. Certainly in the older films, that's like the nineties films, it never comes out looking quite right. Uh, but in any given Sunday, it looks realistic. It looks like it hurts when people are tackling. But it it takes a look at the uh, the business of American football as well. So the the behind the scenes stuff, the the trades, the coaching, the 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 actual the people at the top who you know B 
bid for new stadiums and and things like that. It's it's a whole package. There's actually there's a lot of stuff in it that's uh, and I think I mentioned this briefly in a previous podcast when we might have been talking about concussion. Uh, it's so the, the thing with concussion is it, it kind of talks about what well, concussion. All it talks about is the uh, the injuries that players suffer from the re- repeated blows to the head, uh, and it's something that's kind of covered here as well. Uh, one of their main characters, you know, he's at quite serious risk of very serious injury because of the the amount of hits to the head he's taken. It takes a look at uh, a look at how doctors back then and i you know i'm not naive i absolutely believe it still carries on now you know how doctors fudge the system and and dope people up so they can keep playing you know it's it's a really good you know it's a great story it's it's oliver stone it's really well made you know it looks gorgeous even now you know it's in 99 so 20 no 15 17 years later Looks really, really good still. Uh, with just this insane cast as well. I mean, have you guys seen this film? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. It's it's tons of fun. Yeah, so but the like the cast is obviously your top guys are Al Pacino and Jamie Fox and Cameron Diaz, uh, Dennis Woods. Quaid, James Woods, LL Cool J, John McGinley, Charlton Heston, and. Uh, and my favorite, you know, one of my favorite football players, just one of the, the coolest celebs ever, in uh, Lawrence Taylor, who's an ex-Giants player who just plays this def- uh, defensive player for the fictional Miami Sharks, and he's just he's one hundred percent just balls out character. He's brilliant, and he's absolutely what you can imagine he was like when he was actually a footballer. Uh, but yeah, just a really, really good film. As a as a film, it's tons of fun. Like like Brian said, it's absolutely it's a shitload of fun to watch. If you know a bit about the sport, you can you know you see some of the dodgy dealings going on in the background, and you go, oh, that's that's a little bit naughty. But you know, if you well made film, Oliver Stone film, you can't go wrong watching Oliver Stone film. I don't think it's absolutely amazing. See, as soon as I was thinking about nominating it myself. But each time I thought of any given Sunday, I just thought of the Willie Beeman song, and that got stuck in my head for ages. But, nah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be stuck in my head now that you've said that as well. But you see, you can counteract it. You can. You just go, don't you guys drive me. I'm worth a million bucks. Every time I want to cheer when he says that. Absolutely amazing film. Okay. It's also got the, the, the locker room but the one by inches that's yeah. worth watching if you want to hunt on youtube any given sunday inches speech yeah yeah goosebumps every um, time um finally then for just bill brian what do you want to, to finish up with sticking with american football um horse feathers it's a marx brothers film from 1932 that is very, very loosely based around the idea of American football. Um, basically, Groucho is head of a college. Things happen. They end up playing American football. It's, I think it's got like in the, the top 11 f- scenes in football movie history, according to ESPN. Good. Um, 
Yeah, I I want to pick something slightly esoteric. I recommend you watch it because it's a funny film and it's got all the good Marx Brothers jokes. And it'll be different to everything else on this list. That's yeah, it. it is complete. It's it's <laughs> it's a great film though. I've got a box set of uh, Marx Brothers films with the horse feathers. Yeah, there's four of them and it. it folds out. Yeah. Horse feathers, duck soup, night at the opera, day at the races. No, it's duck soup, horse feathers. Uh, God, what were they? There were um. Is it animal crackers. Animal crackers and another one with an animal theme that I can't remember the title of. Monkey business. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just a great film. It was the first Marx Brothers film I ever watched, and it was the one that made me dig out more of them to to track down. And uh, they're just like. I mean, it is very. You've got obviously um, Harpo and uh, Chico, who are slapstick, and mm-hmm. Zeppo, who people. I don't think Zeppo really. <laughs> he he's the the piss break Marx brother. Mm. Well, Zeppo's doing a song. I'll I'll make a cup of tea. Do you want anything? Exactly. Yeah, but I don't know because it's so different to the rest of them. Sometimes I'd... that's because they they were variety. That's mm. where they came from. They came from the circus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Place like that. Ford so every, and stuff. Everyone needs a job. You bring him along. Yeah. Um, but obviously, great shows. Yeah, one liners are just uh, just hilarious. One liners, visual comedy. It's. I think I'm pretty sure my parents showed them to us when we were kids, and there's stuff to get in that. Um, there's stuff. There's stuff to get when you you grow up and I'm reading the wiki to check up on it and there's a, a a college widow in this a college widow is a woman a young woman who lives near college year after year to associate with male students um, <laughs> I'll hmm. I'll let you come to your own conclusions on that yeah. one but it, it's things that I, I didn't get that when I was a kid <laughs> okay um, that is all for this week's Failed Critics Podcast, and save for a couple of recommendations that we've got to make. Um, I'm going for um, Film 4 on Monday at 9 o'clock, and Commando. You bastard. That's exactly what I was going to But I was going to pick it on Friday at 11.15, so either or, or will do. Okay. Um, Brian? Uh, bit of a switcheroo. I'm gonna re-recommend Night Owls because I've now watched it. That thing I recommended last time. And surprise, also a sports film. Um, it's about it's about an American football coach and the influence and impact he has on the people around him, and about how we we venerate these icons in sports, but they're just people. That's what it's about. It's not as funny as I thought it was going to be, but it's pretty bloody good. Okay, and Brooker. Uh, so film four Thursday morning, I suppose, one o five a.m. So Wednesday night, Thursday morning is the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay, um, we've already had Owens, I think so. Yeah, well, I'll do, what I'll do instead of a recommendation... Well, I'm going to re- re-recommend BoJack Horseman Season 3 because uh, I've finished that now and it's just sublime. Just uh, the writing in that, like, hurts me from being so good. I just can't 
get my head around how people can write something that well. But um, I was going to, instead of doing recommendations, then I'll, I'll just give some um, recommendations we received on Twitter for the Triple Bill this week. Um, we put it out there and asked people to make suggestions of their favourite sports films. Uh, we had Ollie Bellwood uh, at Bezelveld, whatever. Have a look on our timeline. We retweeted him. <laughs> he said, all the Costner ones. Uh, he's yet to make a bad film. It's a flawless career. Which at first I thought, no, surely not. But then I... Yeah, but I mean, I can't think of any that I've seen of Kevin Costner's that I've really not liked. I guess some people will point to Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, but I kind of like those films. Um, we they're also not sports films are, are they? They're not sports films. No, <laughs> we had uh, Steve F at Upper Tier Steve said Slapshot, which I think was one of the first films you reviewed on here, wasn't it, uh, Brian? I yeah. reviewed it. Yeah. Um, we had right. Word of Blackout. Uh, he said, not Olympic themed, uh, but brum brum cars are a sport apparently, so it'd have to be 2013's <laughs> Rush. So you have a, a sort of support there as well. Uh, Brian, Dave McFarlane at Mankey365 said, The Wrestler. Yeah, man. Which, Good film. You know, sports entertainment. Sports entertainment. Uh, and Any Given Sunday as well, actually. He said, as on top of that. Um. And then we had James at second underscore Suta said, Hoosiers with Gene Hackman, Breaking Away, my fave though. So thank you very much to the people who sent some recommendations into us. Um, and yeah, you know, as always, very helpful when I'm trying to make my own shortlist. Yeah, and um, thank you to, to everybody who's listened to the podcast. We'll be back in just over a week this time as we're a bit early with this one. Um, with Owen? Yeah. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I meant, but never mind, we'll let you off. We'll be back with some films me. and that. You're back with me, unfortunately. Back, back with Brooker and films and stuff. <laughs> yep. Films and stuff. That's that's pretty much like our catchphrase now. Yeah. So we, we can't be bothered to look up what's coming up next week. It's just films and stuff. Next, yeah, next week is next week and yeah. worry about it next week. Yeah. It won't even be next week. It'll be the week after for us. Mm. We're uh, technically yeah. maths, yeah. <laughs> calendars. That's how calendars work. <laughs> yeah. Time. Time is just a metaphysical concept. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That what is do you mean by that? Way too deep for a Friday night, dude. What What I mean is that it's a construct. Day, days Days are just a construct that man has put on us. And is, is it really Friday? Does it have to be Friday? <laughs> Why can't Friday be Monday? Why can't Saturday be Wednesday? Because fuck Mondays. As the Boom Town Rats sang. <laughs> and there we end. <laughs> we are all one. Time is time is one. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 